We understand and know, Lord, as we open your word, it's seed that's sown. And that our hearts are the soil. So as you look at us today, Lord, are, are our hearts ready to receive the word that you want to pour into them this morning? Clear the clutter, please God, from our lives, the, the things that would distract us from hearing what you want to speak. You've promised us, God, that your word will not return void but will accomplish what you have set out for it to do. So help us be ready to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I released the children through grade four. They're going to go off and learn this as well. So if you have children who are going off, they're learning the same thing at the same time as we are. And so it's a, a great thing that, that Leader Glenn and his helper, Pastor Glenn and his helpers are doing down there. Today we're looking at the uh, parable of the sower, as it's called in our copy of God's Word. And the title of the message today is On the Outside Looking In, and we're continuing uh, in our series of uh, focused on uh, uh, Son of Man, focused on his mission. We have a, a new uh, picture. We, we did have the casting of the net as, uh, as God has called us to be fishers of men, and now we're taking a look at what does it mean to be sowing the seed. And, and uh, moving forward here, we'll have this as this image for a while just to remind us of what it means uh, to have that be a part of our lives. And so on the outside looking in, and I wonder, have you ever experienced in your life a situation where you felt like you were on the outside looking in? Like maybe there's a, a group of people talking, three or four people talking, and you walk up and suddenly the conversation stops. And you, of course, understand and know completely that it's just because there was a pause in the conversation. It's not at all because you just walked up, right? And so you can feel as though you're on the outside looking in. Or, or maybe there's been a time where you've been in a situation where there's three or four people who, who have great knowledge about a certain topic and they're talking about it. And, and you don't have any knowledge about that topic at all. And they're using words that you don't even begin to understand or you understand in a different way. And, and you just feel like you're on the outside looking in. As we look at the parable of the sower and the passage specifically between the parallel being given and the parallel being interpreted, we can see that Jesus makes it very clear that a large amount of people in the world are on the outside looking in. Even as we take communion today, it may be that you're here and, and you don't quite understand what this is. You don't understand the depth of it. And, and even as you come, there's, there's words that we use that are, are words that you may not quite understand. They're Christianese is what we call them. And you, you may feel as though you're on the outside looking in. My prayer for today is that this text will help you understand maybe why you're in that position. And that maybe through that, it will help you to know how you can move to the inside. My prayer is also for those of us who are on the inside, if I could say it that way, that we would take a very close look at ourselves to see what does that mean? And are we, are we taking advantage of that position? 
So the big idea for today is that being with Jesus moves us to the inside. And, and we've been going through the gospel of Mark, and last week we looked at the truth that there's great significance in being with Jesus, and we, we looked at what it was like for the apostles to be called to be with him so that he could send them out knowing him so that they could make him known, and we looked at how that applied to our lives. But today we're looking at this big idea that being with Jesus moves us to the inside. And, and that verse at the top of your notes where Jesus says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those on the outside, everything is in parables. Troublesome verse. Let's take a look at it, shall we? So the first point is that everyone may listen. And, and again, Jesus comes to teach by the lake and the crowd gathers around him yet again. And we looked last week at how he had told the apostles, get a boat ready because the crowd's coming and it may be that I need to step into the boat. We're not told that he did at that occasion, but at this occasion, we're told that the crowd pressed in on him so greatly that he needed to step into the boat. And last week, we looked at the truth that apparently at the time that Jesus was teaching, crowds formed from the front back, you know, um, so, so that they kept pushing against him. And they wanted to touch him and wanted to be with what he was doing. And, and so this crowd that gathered was so much bigger and pushed so much more against them that he stepped into the boat. And as he stepped in the boat and began to teach, he began to teach. And, and our passage last week said that he began to speak to them in parables, and so here we see that, that um, Mark says he taught them many things by parables. So J Jesus has stepped into a different type of teaching now. He's teaching in parables. And it's important that we see that he starts out in verse 4 by saying, listen. In the NIV it says, listen. Some of your other translations might say, listen, behold. And that's more accurate. It's, it's Jesus coming and saying, listen up. Listen, this is important. Pay attention. Look. See what I'm about to tell you. And, and so that, that double word, listen and behold. And, and it, so what he's going to begin to tell them has great meaning, and he wants them to understand. So, so the first point, everyone may listen. Everyone may listen. Creation declares the glory of God. Everyone can hear the song that creation sings. You'll remember at the beginning of this year, we looked at Psalm 19 and all that that means. So everyone can listen. A parable. What is a parable? Parable literally translates cast alongside. So it means to tell a story that, that, that comes alongside and shares a truth. A parable is best understood as an extended simile. And doesn't that clear things up for us? An extended simile. And so what is a simile? And, and when we think of that, a simile is, is a form of speech that is just as, so also. Okay, so a simile comes along and says, just as the birds sing when the morning comes, so also my heart sings every morning at the new mercies of God. Okay, so it's just as, so also. And so we see similes used often in speech. And a parable is an extended simile. A parable is an extended just as, so also. 
okay? And, and we see that, that throughout Scripture, and especially with Jesus, he uses parables in such an amazing way, and we see some real truths that come from that. First of all, we see that parables, uh, they reveal tr- truth in a way that's memorable and capturable. So a parable will take a truth and will we'll put it more deeply in your heart because it's something that you'll remember more. So, you know, next week we'll be looking at you don't, hide, you don't light a lamp and then put a cover over it, okay? So if your room is dark, you don't go turn on the light and put a cover over it because you want the light to illuminate the room, okay? And so I get a picture in my mind of what that means, and now Jesus says, so let your light shine. Okay, so he could say, let your light shine, but this gives you a visual. So a parable comes along, gives you a visual that you can hold on to, so it teaches a truth in a way that you'll remember. Also, as it's doing that, a parable can also confront what is wrong. So that parable also confronts, well, I guess there are times that I've put a cover on my light, okay? So it can also confront the wrongdoing. One of the, one of the major places we see that in Scripture is when Nathan approaches David after he sinned with Bathsheba. And Nathan comes up to David and offers the parable, if you will, of, of the rich man who had all of these lambs. And when it came time to sacrifice a lamb, he went to the poor man who had just one lamb and took his lamb even though it was so special to him, and sacrificed that lamb. And of course, David said, well, that's terrible, and we need to punish that man. And Nathan said, that man is you. And so that parable confronted David with his wrongdoing, and David, of course, repented. So parables, they they put truth in a memorable, capturable way, and they confront wrongdoing. But also, parables serve a second purpose. And this is where it gets a little troublesome because parables, you see, they conceal truth. They hide truth from those who are hard-hearted, from those who are not willing to hear. We're told in Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. And as such, even when he was captured in this sin, still within him was a heart that longed to hear from God. And so when Nathan confronted him, He was able to see his wrongdoing, but if his heart had been hard, he wouldn't have seen himself in that parable. And so the parable would have actually not revealed the truth that he needed to see. So everyone may listen, and Jesus cries out, listen, behold, listen, see, hear, see what I'm trying to tell you. So the question comes, do you take time to listen to what Jesus is saying? He's speaking. And it may seem to come in parables, and in many ways it does, but are you taking the opportunity to hear? Because being with Jesus moves us to the inside. The second thing we see is that not everyone will see or hear. And this is the, the, the couple of verses in this passage that can be troublesome for us. This Verses 10 through 12 When he was alone, verse 10, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing and never perceiving, ever hearing and never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven." 
<laughs> this is a, an interesting passage, and it's like, well, what? It seems like Jesus is specifically teaching in such a way that, that will prevent people from turning toward him, and that's one way to read that. Now, for those of us who preach and teach, we go to great lengths as we're preparing to uh, allow the message to change us, but also to put the thoughts together in such a way so that it's clearly understood, okay? That's one of the, the important aspects of preaching, we think. But it seems that Jesus was actually in some ways concealing truth, or at least the truth that he was portraying was concealed. So what exactly does this mean? It means that not everyone will see or hear. Immediately within us goes, that's not fair. I'm not so sure. Let's take a look. You see, it, it says that when they were alone, Jesus had told them, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's going to be really important because when we come into the interpretation of this parable, it's going to talk about what it means to hear. Okay, so if you have ears to hear, you will hear this. So he said that to the crowd. He said, listen, behold, this is important. You need to understand this. And he begins to tell them the parable about a farmer that's just throwing seed out there. And we take a look at that, and we're like, how could they possibly understand what that meant? But understand that Jesus was talking to a group of people who would have understood. See, at that point in time, especially within Judaism, it was very clear that if someone said there was a sower sowing seed, it would immediately click in their minds that God was letting the word be known. Okay, God was letting the word be known because that was a, that was a metaphor that was used for that. And so it would have stuck with them that God is spreading the word. And they would have captured that. And, and they wouldn't have understood the parable exactly, but everyone had the same opportunity that those who came to Jesus when he was alone had. See, what happened? When, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. See, if you have ears that are longing to hear, you go to the Lord and you say, what does this mean? What is the meaning of this? You know, I, I, I talked to someone who said that they've, they've just been amazed that since they've come to know the Lord, how Scripture has come alive for them and how they understand it. And see, that's it. If you have ears to hear, if you come to the Lord and you say, God, help me understand your word, God reveals that. And that's what, that's what we see in our text. It's interesting that the 12 and those around him, it, it, it reminds us of the passage we looked at last week, that those who were seated in a circle around him, and he said, here's my family. You see, it's those who are with Jesus who have this opportunity to hear more. And so they come and they say, explain this parable. And he says to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, 
Have you ever considered what it would be like to walk on the earth with Jesus? Because it just never seems like he says what you need him to say. It's like, tell me what the parable says. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Okay, that cleared it all up. But it does. It does. What is the secret of the kingdom of God? Remember that that as we looked back in in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. The Son of God has come into the world. God has taken on flesh, and in the person of Jesus has become Emmanuel, God with us, walking with us. And the secret of the kingdom of God, Colossians chapter 2, Verse 2 and 3, Paul, as he's talking to the Laodiceans, he says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, the secret of the kingdom is this, Jesus. The secret of the kingdom is Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who has come into the world to make God known. It's the secret of the kingdom that the gospel has come into our world. It's a mystery. When I looked at the, when I looked at the, the title for today, I thought on the outside looking in, but then I also thought the best kept secret Because the truth is, the secret of the kingdom has been entrusted to each one of us who've been with Jesus, who've come to a saving knowledge of him. And in many ways, it's the only secret Christians keep. Nervous laughter fills the room. See, we've talked about the redemptive threat, right? We looked at that at the Advent season, the redemptive thread that finds its way all through Scripture as God continues to unfold the plan of redemption that he has. And, and as it continues to unfold, the mystery of God is revealed in more and more detail. Because a mystery in Scripture is, is something that at one time was hidden but has now been made known. And if you want to look into that, look into Paul. He, he makes that really clear as he talks about the mystery being unfolded. And so we understand and know that the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been made known to these who have come to Jesus. So the very fact that they're coming to Jesus is an indicator of the fact that they have been given the information that Jesus has come to make the gospel known. It's interesting, isn't it, that within this group of the 12, Judas Iscariot is included. Judas, who according to chapter 3, verse 19, is the one who betrayed Jesus. Apparently, you can be given the secret of the kingdom and not have it take hold in your life. These have been given the secret of the kingdom. It's been given. It's a gift. It's not something that anybody has earned. It's a gift that God has given. And and we think of Peter when, when Jesus came to him and said, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ. 
And, and Jesus says, the Father has made that known to you. It's divinely revealed. So listen, if you understand and know the secret of the kingdom, if you know that Jesus Christ is God taken on flesh, and if you have trusted him as your savior, if you've released your life to him, you understand that you have been, you have been let in on the secret, the mystery of the kingdom. He says, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. A more accurate translation of that is that everything comes in parables. Everything about Jesus' life is a parable to those who are watching as he's in his ministry. The casting out of the demons, the healing of the sick, the teachings that he has, all of these things come in parables to those who are on the outside. They, they come in parables in that they hide the truth from the hard-hearted. And we saw that last week as the Pharisees came and, and Jesus was casting out demons and they said, you're a demon. You're the demon of demons and that's how you're casting out demons. They refused to see the truth. It came to them in a parable. And so we come to this troublesome verse Verse 12, that they may be ever seen but never perceiving and ever hearing and never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It comes from Isaiah chapter 6, that amazing passage where Isaiah ends up before the throne of God and, and, the, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory and, the, and the, the cherubim and seraphim are flying around singing holy, holy, holy and, and Isaiah gets a picture of that and he falls to his knee and he says, woe is me, I cried, I'm man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the Lord. And a coal is taken. And his sins are atoned for. And a cry comes out and says, who shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, me, pick me, I'll go. And God says, that's fine, go, but nobody's going to listen to you. And Jesus comes along and, and uses that passage again. So what does it mean? Does it mean that the way he's teaching, he teaches specifically so that people don't understand? I found a, a wonderful paraphrase of this that I think brings great clarity to it by Hollenbach. It says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. So that they may indeed hear, but not understand, because the last thing they want is to turn and have their sins forgiven. See, that's what this is talking about. It's talking about people whose hearts have become so hard that their hearts are not open to even hearing or seeing who God is. And so as he presents himself, they credit it to something else. Just as the Pharisees had credited, credited it to Satan, so also those with hard hearts credit it to something other than God because they don't want their sins to be forgiven. They like it in their sin. They are happy with their hard-heartedness or they are convinced that that's what it needs to be. Yesterday we had our granddaughters over and they wanted to watch God's Not Dead. I'm like, okay, cool. So we put it in. It had been a while since I watched it. In that, in that movie, there's a professor, a philosophy professor, who requires his entire class 
to write on a piece of paper that God is dead, and if they don't write that, they fail the course. And there's one student who says, I won't write that. And he ends up putting God on trial. And so he's trying to convince the, or show proof that God is not dead. And through it, it, it comes out that the, the professor really isn't the atheist that he presented himself to be. In actuality, he's a man that through various circumstances has come to a place where he hates God because God is not who he wanted him to be. And so he hates God because God is not acting the way that he believes he should act. And so many times we've created God in our image, and when he doesn't act according to the way that we believe he should act, we get angry with him and we declare that he's not there, and we won't listen to what he's trying to speak into our lives. And that's what's happened to those on the outside. So are you on the outside looking in? Because, listen, being with Jesus moves us to the inside. The final point that we see is that those who hear and ask will be told more. Those who hear and ask will be told more. And I see that as Jesus says, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? See, Jesus is more than willing to explain this parable to those who come and ask I have ears that are willing to hear, God. I'm not quite hearing what you have to say yet. Could you explain it to me? Could you let me know what this means? But I believe as Jesus says this to them, he also gives us a clear indication of why some of us stay on the outside looking in and why some of us don't. And it has to do with how we hear. He says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parables? It almost is as if he's saying that when you understand this parable, it will give you the key of how to understand all the other parables. So for us, that means if we're able to understand what this parable is saying, it will give us the key to be able to understand everything that God wants us to understand about who he is and his plan for our lives. So that's pretty important, isn't it? It's been called the parable of the sower. But I want to suggest to you that it's possibly more about the parable of the soils. Because as Jesus moves into the interpretation, he moves into the truth about what the difference is in the soil. You see, the sower remains the same. The seed remains the same. Now you think about it, and you think of a, soil, a sower, a planter, and in the parable, of course, we're told that this farmer went along and he just threw the seed out, and someone on hard soil, someone on rocky soil, someone on, you know, and, and of course, that's not the way we farm today, right? I mean, the way we farm today, uh, Speckmans were here earlier, and we talked a little bit about how they're farming a 1,000 acres, and you don't do that by walking around doing this, Okay. And you're not throwing seed on the parking lot. Okay? Right, Butch? You don't grow corn in a parking lot. You prepare the soil. You get the soil ready so that all the seed that you plant has all the greatest potential to grow. But, but that's not how it was when Jesus gave this parable. When Jesus gave this parable, the seed went everywhere. And the difference in the soil 
gives us a glimpse into the difference of being on the inside. The first soil you see, the first soil, and, and it's there in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This is an exposed heart. This is like seed that's thrown on the parking lot and it's exposed. We get sandhill cranes and geese and turkeys that walk all over the place out here eating things and they come up on the parking lot and if there's any seed there, they grab that quickly because it's the most exposed. And, and those who have given their heart to Satan, like that professor in the movie, they've exposed their heart in such a way that Satan can easily take away any word of truth that's placed there. It's one type of soil. The second type you see is talked about there in, in verse 16. Others like, like seed sown on rocky places hear the soil and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is an unfocused heart. This is a heart that's just trying to experience joy. I just want to be happy. I want to do whatever it takes to make me happy, and I just want to be happy in my life. And, and, you know, hey, Jesus, that would make me happy. Sure, yeah, okay, I'll take that. And, yeah, let's put him in and see how it works out. Okay, and, and these are the people who, who so many times in the, in the past, the way we've presented the gospel has been, do you want to go to hell? Or do you want to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Say a prayer. Yay, I'm saved. I'm good. I'm happy. And then something happens and it's like, ah, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up to be happy because I was told that Jesus would make me happy. He's not making me happy. And so pff, the seed's taken away because they were told that the seed would bring happiness and that's all they wanted, an unfocused heart. The next heart we see is a selfish heart. A selfish heart. Still others, like seen sown among the thorns, hear the word, verse 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. This is a selfish heart. This is a heart that's accumulating comfort. This is a heart that, that wants to be comfortable, a heart that, that will, will do whatever it can to accomplish and to succeed, and, and so wealth gets to be something they look for, and, and, and you see there's other things, there's these, uh, the worries of life can take this away, and so these are the thorns that rob the seed of truth of its fruitfulness. And so this, this seed gets planted into a selfish heart. And what this is, is this is Jesus being added to everything else. I'm on a path and I'm, I'm accumulating for myself and I've got comfort. And boy, this Jesus thing looks like that could be pretty helpful. I'm going to just add him in. Doesn't bear fruit. Doesn't bear fruit. It gets choked out. The potential of the word of God in a person's life like that gets choked out. The final soil, powerful soil. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. This is a servant heart. This is a servant heart. This is a heart that is ready and willing and able to serve God. 
See, that's what the kingdom of God is about. There's a king who's come who's sovereign over everything, and those who are, who are ready to hear that have a heart that long to serve the king. And so we see that this heart that, that's soiled to ready, that is ready to receive the word of God is heart that's a servant. The analogy has been used, if you've had a steak and eggs for breakfast, you realize that the chicken made a sacrifice, but boy, it's really the cow that gave everything. And that's how we view Christianity. Jesus gave everything, and we give a couple of eggs. But yet Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. Listen, the gospel is not a call to add Jesus into everything else. It's not a call to have Jesus come into your life so you can feel happy. That's not what the gospel call is. The gospel call is a call to realize that you need to die to everything in your life that blocks you from him and turn, repent, and turn toward him. And to find when you do that, that your life is fruitful. That your life takes on the meaning that God designed for it to have, and that meaning is to serve him. And I love that Peter, one of the 12, in his, in his first epistle says this, Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, there's this inexpressible joy that is the fruit of a heart that is ready to receive the truth of God. bearing fruit. Now, there's a couple of applications here. One is for salvation. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, the first three soils are not anything that are going to save you. Unless your heart is open to dying to God, you will not find salvation. You'll stay on the outside looking in. But it's also for those of us who have trusted him. The, the seed is the word of God that comes into our lives and continually comes into our lives. And listen, if we're not constantly dying to ourselves, the next thing you know, we're slipping into that third soil pretty easily. And we're focused on the comfort of this world instead of on how can we serve our king. You have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The mystery has been made known to you. That brings a joy into your life. It brings such a joy into your life that it almost moves a Scandinavian to smile. <laughs> that close. Oh, church. Church, what soil are we? What soil are we? Because the mystery has been made known to us so that we can make it known. We need to bear fruit, a fruit that will last. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
we don't consider that the secret of the kingdom is all that glorious. As I was preparing this message, the Lord laid on my heart a song, and Gabe and team are going to come up and lead us in this song as a benediction. Look inside the mystery. It's glorious. It's glorious that this has been given to you. As you sing this song, let it be a prayer. Perhaps it needs to be a prayer of repentance for you. Perhaps you've fallen into the third or the second soil. Perhaps this needs to be a prayer of repentance, or perhaps it's a prayer of praise, and you're like, oh, I am so ready to receive the word of God. Oh, Father, search our hearts. Search us, Lord. You know, you know what we're doing with the secret that you've given us, with the mystery that you've revealed to us. Oh, that we would have ears that long to hear what you have to say. You have the words of life. Lord Jesus, where would we go other than to you? Oh God, forgive me for all the times that I let the, the worries of this world and the, the seeking of comfort, forgive me for all the times I allow those to move me away from hearing your glorious truth pouring into my life. Lord, I long to be soil that's receptive to all that you have to say to me. And I long to be part of a people here at Calvary who are also those types of people. Glorious. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. You are amazing, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.